Yeah. It is fun to see what God's doing in a lot of different areas in our church family, um, all the way from our kids, all the way, as you can see in in the beginning of the service, we showed some slides of 36th and Lindale, where we're working with a couple North Minneapolis churches as we are um, seeking all we can do to come together in prayer and in many other ways to kind of bridge that divide that um, is has racially occurred. We're also involved in lots of different places around the world. And so the slides I'm going to show you is something I mentioned, and we've kind of mentioned the last couple of weeks, and that's Tanvir, who is from Pakistan, a part of our church, who goes back and has a ministry there, went back to Pakistan, and he's there right now, and he's giving supplies. Remember, I shared last week that $100 can supply a family, a Christian Afghanistan family that is kind of running and fleeing into Pakistan um, with a month's worth of food, clothing, medicine, all kinds of things, and we've been able to give to that, and, and that's kind of what's going on in that area of the country. We also have um, the blocks, Carlos and Meredith Block, who are working in Peru, and we're doing a series of podcasts, a couple of them now. One is called Helping People... Um, in the jungles of Peru and talking about how you can help them. They are, if you listen to this, you can go on to our app or you can look at it on iTunes. You can find conversations. We're just talking to get to know what God is doing in their ministry, in their life. We are hoping to raise by Thanksgiving Eve, you can give anytime you want, money for their training center. They have a unique privilege to build that training center. It costs about $60,000 for them to do it. We're going to give what we can um, as generously as we can. And so you can kind of let that be known. You can find it on the app. There's a drop down or um, there's just a number of different places called the office. Love for you to be a part of that. I want to talk today about courage. And courage is an interesting um, concept. It's defined as the ability to do something that frightens you. That's one of its definitions. It'd be kind of like courageously this young little kindergartner with ponytails and blonde hair waved goodbye to her parents as she got onto the bus to go to her school. That would be courageous, and that would have been my daughter, my oldest daughter, um, a few years back, <laughs> who I remember when she did that, we told her, you know, you're gonna, we're going to stand there, we'll be at the bus, um, you're going to get on that bus, and it's going to travel to this school, and I think we even did the route for her, and when, when you get there, we'll be waiting, and, and, and I think Grace was there waving when she got off the bus, but to watch her walk on to courage. There's another definition of courage, and you may be finding this in your life, and it's strength in the face of pain and grief. It would be like saying the person received news of their terminal illness and they courageously lived out the remainder of their days. Now, as you hear that, I have to share with you, there are people who face all kinds of different crises or they face illness or they face what I would call those kind of experiences where you need strength and it calls for courage and it just doesn't happen. It happens by the way we choose to live and interact with a God who can give us courage. And so we're with Paul in his journey and he has been 
coming to Jerusalem, he gets there and he is accused of being in the center of the temple with a Gentile, which was a wrong. And so the people who really wanted to make it difficult for Paul, in fact, they wanted him dead, started to riot and they wanted to beat Paul, tear him apart. And, and, and we're told that as, as um, that was happening, a commander of the Roman army came in with some and they pulled him out and he started to question him and his routine of questioning was to, to do this, to torture him till he told the truth because he didn't think Paul was fessing up. And so he's about to do it when Paul reveals that he's a Roman citizen and now as he reveals that, Paul begins to talk to the, to the guy. He says, I'd like to go back and talk to my countrymen, to the Jews, one more time with hopes of probably sharing the gospel one more time. And that's kind of where we enter the scene right now. And, and all throughout this, what I want you to notice is the courage that Paul lives with. And so he, um, as the scripture tells us, like Jesus, when Jesus was going to face pain and suffering in Jerusalem on the cross, it says Jesus set his face like flint and he went into that pain and suffering. He, he courageously said, I have a job to do. I have a father who was going to give me the ability to do what he's called me to do. And he goes walking straight into that. And if you look at this book called Acts, You'll find that Luke again and again makes comparisons of Paul. There is a sense, just like Jesus, when he started to set his face like Flint and started to go into that, people were saying, no, Jesus, don't do it. Even his closest, his disciples said, don't do it. And so Paul, you get the same picture. Paul at one point says he was compelled by the Spirit. Acts 20, verses 21 through 24 says, Paul is saying to the people around him who love him, Luke even is encouraging not to go. He says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Kind of my face like flint. And I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The New International Version says it this way. Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. No one's stopping me. Knowing that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. How do you live with courage in your life when you come up against difficult things? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to see how Paul lives that out. And what's interesting in this situation with Paul is there isn't really... We have categories that aren't helpful sometimes. Like... For Paul, going to Jerusalem, doing what he's doing, facing these things, it's not a right or a wrong thing. That's why you can have sometimes people arguing for very good people, very loving people, people who even know God in a personal way can argue and say, but don't do it. It's not sometimes right or wrong. It's it's sometimes not even smart or dumb. Because you could sit on one side and go, Paul, if you know that's going to happen, that's dumb. Right? Sometimes your response is, It's not right or wrong. It's not smart or dumb. It's what God has placed in my heart to do. And he's called me to this. And he's moving me into it. Sometimes you don't even have a choice, right? It may be that you have an illness. And I would say when you have an illness, you pray like crazy. People ask me about that. I say pray for healing. Uh, I pray for healing. I Until the day God says no, that's not going to happen. 
But you pray in faith until God reveals. So here's Paul. He's walking into this. He's, he's doing it courageously. And we're promised in our life that things, we're not promised easy in life. And, and people think if you become a Christian, well, then it's going to be easy. No. Life is hard. And it's sometimes very difficult. And we will all face difficult challenges. Um, if you haven't, this message is for you because you will. And if you are, this message is for you because I hope there'll be some instruction that might help you in this process. And, and if you have faced those difficult times and you have walked in courageously into them, it is your responsibility to encourage others with what you've learned. So we're going to learn some things, and we're going to look at Paul. We're going to see how he does this, and I want to read this scripture to you today. It says in Acts chapter 23, verses 10 through 11, as the conflict grew more violent, so we're getting up to 22 first, verse, um, the last part of verse 22, verse 30. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander, oh, I'm sorry. I, what I wanted to share with you is the very end of this. So, so let's look at the last verse first, okay? Acts 23, 10 through 11. It says, as the conflict grew more violent, this is, we're going to read about this in a moment. The commander was afraid and they, that, that he would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. So this is the end of the story. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged or take courage, Paul. Just as you have been a witness here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome. And so what he, this whole theme that I want you to notice in this passage is around this idea of courage. And so as we look at this, I want you to say, what did Paul do? What can I do in the situation I'm in? So now let's go to Acts 22. This is where we're at, verse 30. And, and we look at verse 23 through verse 1. It says, the next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council, and he wanted to find out what the trouble was all about. So he released Paul to have him stand before them. So he's still trying to figure out what's going on. Gazing intently at the high council, I want you to note those words. Paul begins, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. I, I want you to notice that living courageously isn't just something you do, do all the time. When, when, when we read that verse of scripture where Jesus stands beside him and says, take courage, it's this idea that your hands are to be open. And what I want you to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to choose to face this. You're going to have fear, but I'm going to choose you, ask you to choose to step into this with a sense that I am with you and you can be courageous. Okay? That courage comes from God as you keep your hands open. So the very first thing that we see is that Paul, he's standing before these um, Jewish Sanhedrin, which is their supreme court, made up of Pharisees and, and, and Sadducees, and he stands before them, and, and he begins to share with them. But before he does, he looks them right in the eye. And he says this, Brothers, I just want you to know that as I've lived before God, I've lived with a clean conscience. It's really tough to look someone in the eyes when you don't have a clean conscience, isn't it? I mean, part of living courageously is living with a clean conscience. And so Paul has this clear, clean conscience. Because when you know in your heart things are messed up, it's really tough to to look other people in the eyes. When you know you've offended them or you've done wrong or you're living in a way that is displeasing 
to God and maybe hurting other people, to look someone in the eyes is not an easy thing to do because you feel guilt and you, you don't want to look at them. Now, you, you can do that if you have some sociopathic tendencies, right? You don't even have to be a sociopath to do that. You can do that. I have found myself doing that. When you live with a lie, and you want to protect yourself and your image with a lie. And if you do that lie again and again, you can actually sear your conscience and over time um, actually look someone in the eyes and do it with a lie. What I find is interesting, that's a cowardly way to live. Think about it, if you will, for a minute. Just think about people who are either chemically dependent, sexually addicted. You, you think of um, different forms of, of what would be called uh, addiction, approval addicted. People choose a cowardly approach, and let me just hear this out, because what you choose to do is to mask your pain with something that makes you feel good. And the, the deeper the deeper issue when it comes to any of these kind of addictions, whatever they may be, whatever we might live with, the deeper issue isn't the addiction, it's the perpetual lie that is afraid to face reality. I think we all have that tendency and we could do that. Paul stands up and says at a certain point in his life, he said, you know what, I'm going to start living such a way that instead of lying, I'm going to confront that. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to be addicted to approval to, to this or that, even though you will because you have neural pathways that have been built up and you'll do that. God has the ability when you start saying, God, I'm going to show up into this situation with courage, which means I'm going to face reality. I'm going to walk through the pain of it to get to a place where I can look at you and others with a clean conscience. Are you tracking with me on this? Okay, so when you think about a clean conscience, one of the things that if you're living courageously, you, you, you will be living with a clean conscience. And, and it's really funny because you, you can get this idea. Just think if you're in your car and you're, you're going the speed limit and you, you see in your, your rear view mirror and you hear at the same time a siren go off and lights are flashing. Now, if you're going the speed limit, you probably shouldn't have much fear, right? Unless there's that residual fear from having gone over the speed limit way too many times before, right? But if you know you're doing everything right and tabs are right, everything, it's kind of like, oh, that's not for me, it's the guy in front of me, right? You don't have it. Uh, that kind of happens. Or think of kids. When they feel guilty and you, you confront a child, they're going to, if their conscience isn't seared right, they're not, they're not practiced yet fully in lying. They're learning. They'll kind of look away from me. Or, or I like this one. Even, even beings of not as high intelligence as you, look how they react to being wrong. Now I ask you, who took the cookie off the counter? <laughs> hey, Bobby. Look at your guilty face. Huh? What did you do? Huh? Look at that. What did you do? <laughs> Jackson! What is this? What is this? Hmm? Duh, we know. Did you chew this book up? 
Did ya? Are you going to look at me? Jax. Jax. <laughs> Come here. Did you eat the cat food? So if you saw the end of that clip, the dog rolls over on its stomach and goes like this, which is the universal sign for I'm guilty, whatever you need to do to me, do to me. It is not the courageous pose. But the courageous side of that is the willingness to fess up. It's the willingness to say, God, I don't want to live this lie. And you may think about your own marriage and, and what's going on there. And, and part of fessing up might be saying, you know, with our counseling ministry, I'm an, we're going to get things right. Wait, let's quit trying to act like this isn't, we need to face this. Or in your own personal life, you may be chemically dependent. And you're going, I, I really want to step out of this, God. See, a clean conscience is, is, is kind of where your hands are open because if your conscience is clean, you can look at God, you can look at others, and you can look them in the eye. And when you're, you're living that way with integrity, your hands are open for God to say, you know what, this isn't about how brave you are. This is just about you doing what I'm calling you to do and to live out of this clean conscience. And that calls for sincerity, there's consistency. You start to say, the way I am in public will be the way I am in private. Do you know more important than how you look to other people in God's eyes is how you look to your spouse or your friend or someone you're close to? And yet we all the time think that's the least important one. And, and not only that, here's, here's where his courage came from with regard to a clean conscience. The way it was clean, it wasn't because Paul didn't do wrong. In a moment, you're going to see he did wrong, and you're going to see what he does about it. Part of what courage takes is, in this next section, is short account. It's traveling lightly. So here he is. Part of the reason he has this incredible clean conscience is because he knew that in Jesus is his grace and forgiveness, and he knew that it wasn't about a scorecard where God is just keeping these things. It was just about the confession of his dependency and need on a God who would forgive him and he would walk in that. And when he recognized the fact that this person that he hurt or the people that he hurts truly is um, is the bigger deal than about trying to hide it. And he goes, I'm going to deal with that. And when you recognize that there is a God who will forgive you, and he basically says, I give you a clean conscience to live in. I will give it to you as you walk it out. But here it is. It's a gift. Every moment when you do wrong, if you do wrong, the ability to confess it and to find your rootedness in his grace and his goodness allows for you to live with a clean conscience. Amen? If you've, if you've carried a guilty conscience, and I have in my life, I remember one time as a little kid and, and, and I had, oh, I won't go into the story. It's a great story. But anyway, I just remember living with it for, it felt like a year and it was probably by 15 days or less until it was brought to the open and then it was like, oh, what relief. 
You may need this relief right now. Jesus is right here, right next to you. He, he wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to pull out of whatever the lie is. And the lie may be your pride that says, hey, look, at I can do this on my own. And God said, no, 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 you need the cross. You need my love. You need my salvation in your heart. And if that's, your, if that's where you're at, you, the relief you can experience right now To those of you here or online, the relief is just merely a prayer that says, Jesus, forgive me. I want a clean conscience. Okay, now the next part, a short account. Here's what you you understand, I think, is you, if you want to be a courageous person, it's about a God who gives you courage because you are doing things in line with Him. I want to live in a clean conscience. I want to do my duty before God, says Paul. Here's when, when Paul says this, there's, a, there's an interesting reaction right away. It says in, in chapter 23, verse 2, instantly, and then I asked the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. You could put reactively. And the reason I want you to hear this reactiveness, because Paul, in a moment, when we read on, is going to be reactive. One of the most difficult things to do is when you're filled with fear to live courageously. How many can do that? I'm not saying you don't feel fear. Everyone feels fear. But when you feel fear and you say, God, I'm going to live as you are asking me to and to walk into this with a clean conscience, you then start to move and to realize that when you do wrong, the the thing you do is you submit it and, and then allow God to forgive you and you walk on and let him put courage so you walk into the truth. But here, reactively, the high priest hears Paul say, I'm living my duty before God and with a clean conscience. And he instantly, he reactively, out of fear, says, slap him. Why? Because everyone in that room, if you do historical study on Ananias, he was, he did so many things that people knew that was wrong while holding his position of power. That he was being confronted by the truth through the words of Paul in his own life. And all he could think of doing is shut the guy up. If you, you know, shut the message of truth up. And if you can't stop the message, you what? You slap the messenger. You get him to be quiet. And so here he is, Paul, in a reactive place. So Pay attention, when you're feeling a lot of fear, you're probably going to act out of those what I call neural pathways you learned when you were younger, most likely even as a child. Because part of sanctification, part of growing with Jesus is growing in the confidence of him being able to start new neural pathways over time reacting differently. In fact, you're not reacting. He's causing you to respond like Jesus responds. And so here it is, Paul gets slapped in the face and what does he do? But Paul said to him, You could actually put in there, but Paul reacted. God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. Nothing he's saying here is wrong. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? And those standing near Paul said to him, Do you have, do you dare insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. Listen to Paul. Very human here. I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize 
he was the high priest. Now, a lot of people go, why didn't Paul realize that? Well, it could be a number of things. It could be he hadn't been back in Jerusalem for a number of years since he was on these missionary adventures, right? It could be that um, at that point he didn't know because they changed high priests quite often. Who was the high priest? And some commentators, and I think this is possibly the best, is this was called rather quickly. And often when they called these kind of you know Supreme Court meetings quickly, they didn't come all garbed up in a robe. So you wouldn't really know by the way they're dressed who is who. And besides that, Paul at this point, they think, maybe had some glaucoma, some bad vision. So all this stuff is being in play. But here's the point. The high priest reacts in fear, slaps him because of the truth. Paul reacts in fear and says the truth. And look at what he says next. He says, I didn't realize this is the high priest. Paul replied, for the scriptures say, because he's being charged right now, not meaning a man who follows the law of God. Here's what the law of God says, because I am, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So Luke's condensing things. I believe what's going on here is Paul is one of those people who goes, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to travel lightly through this life. When I'm wrong, I'm just going to go ahead and admit it. Uh, Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, has a great little saying that I use often at weddings um, with couples. And I, I just encourage him. I say, here's a, some advice Martin Luther gives. When, you, when you're wrong, admit it. When you're right, shut up. It would have been good for Paul to not react and to shut up. Right? But he was saying the truth. It didn't matter. The law of God says what? When a person holds a certain office... It's not about them. It's about the office they hold, and you don't speak evil of them. I could spend months speaking to, not our church for sure, but other churches, Christians, about the way they talk about people in offices that need and require our respect. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, X, Y, or Z. One of the most courageous things you could do this week is to not react and start speaking in ways about the president or speaking in ways, if you were a Republican before, I mean a Democrat before, I don't care, about that person in office in ways like Paul says, it's not right. I'll tell you, one of the reasons you need courage here is because when you show courage in that, it's not about the person, it's about a God who knows Sovereignly, who's supposed to be in those positions, and he allows it. Church, it's not our job, whether we're at work or school or wherever we're at, to in some way denigrate and, and name call and, and do what was there, even if you think it's true. This is God's word. And you want to live with a clean conscience so you can live courageously to make those kind of decisions that God wants you to make. You, you, you need to also have short accounts. You need to travel lightly. It means like you have to do what Paul said in Romans. He said, let, um, was it Romans? Yeah, Romans. Let no, um, let there be no debt except the debt of love, right? My, my life, if I'm going to be in debt, it's going to be because it's, I'm going to be loving people and being loved. And so you, you get this um, idea here that I think is just powerful, you guys. Paul was wrong, and in the moment, 
did not become defensive. I can't do that well. I am making every effort in my life in these days to do that well. Why is it so hard to just admit we're wrong? Anybody have any trouble with that at all? You're all liars if you don't raise your hand. (laughs) You want to live courageously? One of the most courageous things you can do is in that moment, just say, you know what? Now, if you're flooded and you can't think in a moment, say, let me come back to it. But come back and to be able to say, with humility, I was wrong. I say to my wife, please forgive me. Why is that so hard? I don't think we live courageous lives to the ability to choose what is right and good and what God's calling us to do if we're going to refuse to confront the lies that create clean consciences, if we refuse to humbly repent and confess of wrong that we've done, that's am- Paul's amazing. You guys, we're not called to be perfect. We're just called to live. And people like, you know, this forgiven, which doesn't mean you can just go around and hurt people. We're called not to be perfect, but to live as best we can. I've been telling people this lately, that um, part of what God's been teaching me is to, to, to watch. And people think, well, that's pretty passive. You know, if you're just going to watch God work, what's your part? No, watch for me is, is a really hard thing to do because I will always try and do God's work. I, there's no problem with me trying to make something happen. For me, to watch God make something happen is really hard. So I just tell people, I bring my best, which I don't do always, to God's best, and he always brings his best. So, travel lightly. I don't know where you're at. If you need to deal with a lie and, and step through the pain, whatever it is to get to the place where you're living in the truth, by all means do it. And do it because Jesus will forgive you and he will begin to work his spirit into your life to live your life in a way that you can begin to fulfill what God has for you. Then make this commitment. Some of you right now need to go, I need to go to someone and I need to confess and repent Some of you are going to need to in your workplace or with your group of friends say, guess what? I'm not going to be a part of that kind of conversation anymore around people who hold offices that we're called to respect. Or it may mean that you just show up and you choose not to say anything. If you've been saying something, you don't say something, you just said something. Okay, so travel light, this idea of short accounts. And then the third thing I love in this is that he believes God will provide. And it's bigger than believes God will provide. He believes that in the moment, when it's necessary, when it's right, God is going to come through for him. That's courage. It says, God, I'm going to live cleanly before you. I'm going to keep these short accounts. And you know what? I'm going to keep walking. And when I come into these difficult situations, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide what's needed in that moment. Because if I obey, you will provide the strength to do what needs to be done. Right? So here's Paul. He, he's, he's reacted, and, and, and then he says, he's sorry, I'm wrong. And listen to what he goes here. Acts 23, verses 6 through 10. Paul realized, and the word realized is really important. It's a, it's a, the Greek word here is the idea that he perceived. It's, it's like he, he saw something he didn't see 
uh, like a moment before. He, Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. He knew that. He's not dumb that way. It struck him new at that moment. So he shouted, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because of my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Well, I think it's so funny about that. You can imagine Paul, as he's getting ready to go to this trial, he knows that they have unjustly accused him of bringing this guy Trophimus into the Jewish temple, which he didn't do. And so he's thinking in his mind, it's going to be a, a, an argument about whether I followed the law or I didn't. It's kind of like this he said, she said argument. How many of those can you win? It just doesn't happen. So as he's praying there, he's praying, God, you know, if I say I follow the law, they're going to say I'm not. And so, so he, he's on his way. He's praying, God, I, I need you. I need, I'm going to obey whatever you place in my heart. And God has this incredible way. Um, one of the great gifts of being a person who really knows God personally is that you can hear God. This is a surprise for some people because some people think, oh, the only way I can hear God is through the Bible. The way that the Bible guides us to truth, all truth, is in his word. It never is contrary to it. But God also speaks to you in moments. And in that moment, he impressed on Paul's mind as he looked out and he saw, oh, two groups. And then God, I think, gives him this idea. Don't fight about the law. What I want you to do is fight, is basically present a theological argument. And so that's what he does. He basically says, you know what? I'm a Pharisee. I believe in the resurrection, just like you Pharisees. And at that moment, they're not arguing about Paul, whether he followed the law or not. They turn against each other and they start arguing with each other. And then it says this, if you read the scripture, this divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all these. So there was a great uproar. Paul's standing there watching them fight each other. He's not fighting them. That's God revealing in the moment. He'll do that to you. He doesn't even need to go, hey, Kevin. He can impress on your thoughts his will. And you kind of go, well, how do you know when it's him? I always say it this way. If you get to know God, you'll get to know his thoughts and his voice. And you'll always align with the Bible, God's word. So as you get to know the Bible, you'll get to know the spirit of God. And those truths can be placed in your mind when he wants it to come. Even in this situation like here, for a specific thing, he hears God. And I love that. If you really want to hear the voice of God, because this is your privilege, folks. Spend time with Jesus in his word. That's all. I'll just say, it's as simple as this. When you spend time with Jesus in his word, and for me, I journal, you don't have to do that. You just spend time where you listen to the voice of God and, and say, Jesus, I really want to hear you. Spirit of God, I'm open to hear you. Now, he's not going to speak to you every time, but over time, as you do this, you'll begin to know his voice. Do you know, I know my wife's voice. It's hardest for me to hear my wife's voice when I'm in a crowd of people. And let's say you're at the state fair and she's separated and she's yelling to me. That's a harder situation to hear God or to hear grace. Who is my God? No. Uh, anyway. But, because I've trained my ear in our home to hear that voice, and if I'm seeking to hear that voice, 
I'm more likely to hear it in the midst of a crowd. And why do I say that? In the midst of life like Paul was living, to hear the Spirit of God, it was because he had heard the Spirit of God in those quiet times that he could hear the Spirit of God above all the fear and the fray and the noise. Does that make sense? Okay, so so here he is, he's listening, and it says, um, some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart, so he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. What I think is so wonderful about this is the brilliance of Jesus who reveals this to Paul, who realizes it in the moment, speaks it out with courage. They begin to fight. The commander of the Roman army is trying to find out what's wrong. What happens here? It's not about Paul and something and the people there. Now he's going to him, he's thinking, these Jews are always fighting about religious stuff. This is not something that's worthy of being accused. This is another one of those moments where you see Jesus in, in the way Paul paralleled through Luke. Because it's the same thing with, 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 with Jesus at that point. Pilate, Roman soldier, basically goes, you know, I don't think he's worthy of death. Isn't that amazing how God provides a way of escape in a way that you would never expect? The commander's walking away going, you know, I, I don't think Paul's worthy of death. This is a, this is a fight between them. Here's something that's really interesting. The Romans, they, they, they respected the Jewish faith. They loved the idea of a monotheism, the moralism, and, and the other things that the Jews had. You know what they couldn't stand? It just turned them off to the whole Jewish faith was how they bickered and fought among one another. Kind of how the world looks at us. And so here is Paul. He's being brought back in. And, uh, and, and he's, he's been provided courage to do something that's been revealed to him in that moment. And now, what so often happens is courage is something that comes and goes. In, in this sense, he gets put back into a prison cell and he becomes discouraged. Ever, ever do that where you just, you know, man, God's working. He does this. It's really cool. And you think this is great. And now you're doing really well. And then after a little bit, you begin to move to a place where you've lost that. And, and something somewhat slight happens and you move to discouragement. That's kind of what's going on with Paul. He's back in the cell and he's wondering, God, you said I was going to go to Rome, but it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like this is going to happen. So in verses 23, the last ones, 10 through 11, which we read in the beginning, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so also you will testify in Rome. And it was at that moment where Paul, in discouragement after all this, is sitting there, that Jesus comes to him. And you may need that. In the words of it, Jesus stood beside him. And it could be that right now Jesus is standing beside you saying, you know what? Yeah, your hands are open. 
I want you to grab onto courage. I'm going to talk about what that confidence looks like more next week. But I want you to grab onto courage. Because I am a God who promises, if I said I'm going to get you here, it's going to happen. So grab hold. It's like, you know, grab your keys for the car or grab your winter coat. Grab courage. What's that? Grab confidence in the fact that God forgives you and walks with you. And here's the huge thing. He said, just remember. Remember when I, the last words I said to the disciples when they're up on the mount was, I want you to go around and make people who are courageous like you. You know, make them followers of me. And then he says one last thing to them, just like he does to Paul here. He says, I'll use the King James Version for some of you. who And lo. Anybody know what lo means? Come on, you King Jamesers. No, no one probably does. Anyway, that's why it's so hard to read. And surely, with incredible confidence, you can grab with courage the fact that I've grabbed hold of you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, not just to Jerusalem here, but to Rome, and even beyond Rome, when you pass away, I'm with you forever. That's your God. And so your courage is just to choose what he's calling you to do in the next step and trust that he'll provide what's necessary for you to walk into whatever seems scary. I'm going to ask us to um, just... We're going to sing this song. They're going to lead us in a new song. It's called Take Courage. Is that right? So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. And I just, I, I want you to, you can pray this out loud. I don't really care. Um, or you can pray it in your heart. I was praying at uh, Zion Baptist Church with our black brothers. And a man, Deacon Andre, started at a prayer session when we do this on these Mondays. And he just started out one time praying, and, and, and it hit me, and it's been with me ever since. So I'm going to ask you to kind of, if you would like, you want to close your eyes, I don't care, you don't have to. And he just said, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. And when he said it, it just went into me like electricity. I trust you, Jesus. If you want to say that in the situation before you right now, it may be illness, it may be that God has spoken to you about something that you need to get clean with, whatever. Just say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. And then just obey and let him fill that with his presence.